0: My name's John, and this is Simon. Hey, we've worked as content creators for some time, and wanted to share delicious knowledge from the cookie jar, so if you've got some time, you're welcome to the NavBar. Welcome to the NavBar, a podcast where we help you nav, irrigate the web, and raise the bar of your content creation. My name is John Myers, I'm a developer advocate from Superbase, that guy's Simon Brashley-Otis, and today we're jumping into part two of our What is Tailwind episode. If you haven't checked out part one, I recommend you jump back to that one to learn all about utility-first frameworks, the benefits of purging in Tailwind, and some of its standout features that you get in the box. Today we have the thrilling conclusion where we learn all about Simon's journey with Tailwind Labs and why he no longer works there. Let's get into it. So the other thing that I think I really uh, enjoy or or that I've really benefited from from Tailwind that's probably one of the most important things about Tailwind is just the best in class documentation. Um, It's obviously had a whole bunch of work put into it, um, especially just like the the, like the command K searching like anytime I've ever looked for anything, um, I've always found it like it's never been I've had to dig. too far into something if I'm looking for like how do I increase the font weight or whatever um it's always the first result uh and super super easy to find um so it's very very impressive and just you know obviously every every single part of the entire framework is just yeah it, it's all there it just <laughs> um anything that I that I need to know how to do I can find very very quickly so the documentation is one side of that which is just amazing but then the other side of that is obviously like just content that's out there and you know know, world-class screencasts that have been made about Tailwind by particular people from the Tailwind community or the Tailwind team. Do you want to tell us about those, Simon?
1: Yes. um, So I thought uh, that might be an interesting part to talk about is uh, my experience being part of the Tailwind Labs core team. So I imagine most people listening to this know me from uh, the work I've done for Tailwind Labs and the videos and the slides you've seen before about me talking about tachyons which was like even before I've always been uh, I think Adam when the day I started uh, said well he said Simon was carrying the flag of utility first even before Tailwind existed and that's that's kind of my path of life ended up leading to me having the opportunity to to work with the Tailwind team which is was incredible so yeah I just thought I, I'd talk about this a bit so it's been an incredible opportunity for me I saying that I totally deserved it uh, I converted my fair share of devs to Tailwind CSS since day one and still now now this, this the talk that you've seen a few f- uh, slides from. It's a talk I gave in Berlin in 2018. Uh, just Telwin was out for like half a year, or maybe a, a whole year. But I the story it tells is from two years before, like seven uh, or year and a half before. And um, still now, so I, I did that talk four years ago, and still now, uh, random people say I just discovered that talk, and this is the one thing that con- like I've I've been rejecting the idea, and I watched your talk, and now I'm completely sold. Like I'm I see the light. <laughs>
0: You definitely convinced me to to get started with Tailwind, so there's another tick there. Ah, there you go, and that's that's why I try to
1: frame these uh, episodes the same way, where I go through the journey a little bit, and uh, I know what you're going to feel at the start, and try to address this in a way. That's what the Tailwind docs do. It's controversial, but Adam says, like, uh, I know what you think. This is horrible. You're gonna have a gag reflex and stuff. But I promise you, if you try, if you give it a try, uh, you might you might never. Like, you might consider how was I? How would I go back to doing things differently? And it's super hard because if you don't explain why people uh, drag you, and if you explain why it takes too much time, etc. Anyway, I ended up working at Tailwind Labs, which was awesome. Uh, I was able to pitch my dream job. I started by doing some Tailwind UI components for Tailwind UI, and then Adam said, "Hey, wh- what's like your dream job at Tailwind Labs? What would it look like?" And I was like, "I think I'm really good at making videos. I like to teach people. I used to be a school teacher. Uh, I want to try make some video content." So I didn't exactly start as a dev role, but I kind of. Started with the prospect so that I could be one, and Adam said, "You know what? Let's do a, a refresh of my Tailwind Zero to Production course because it's a bit outdated. Try do six eight videos on that, and then see what happens. And we'll create a new YouTube channel with that vi- these videos. And we did that in January 21, I think. Uh, and yeah, well, it it went really well, and we did the YouTube channel, and it really took off. And then Adam said, "Dude, like if you want to do that full time, uh, let's go for it, and you can become like the the YouTube uh, resident at Tailwind Labs and so I got to pitch my dream job uh, and obviously I had incredible personal growth uh, in terms of like full-time video editing and just putting yourself out there as a brand like the face of Tailwind is an incredible way to uh, personally like move to the next echelon <laughs> in what like the reach that I can have which is, which is amazing and working with a high performance team high performing team like Tailwind Labs has is amazing like there's five, six, seven, maybe 8, I don't even know exactly now but it's a really small team and we were shipping stuff all the time and there's no politics, no meetings, no red tape, like there's that um, work cycle, six week work cycle uh, borrowed from the the folks at Basecamp that's in place and Adam, if you like the Tailwind Docs, uh, the the copywriting, this is like almost everything is Adam and he puts the same level of detail and passion in explaining what the next work cycle is and what people should work on and basically he asks us he would ask us during the the, the current cycle what do you think you would do next and then just present that and, th- and then people just go and do their thing and try to own the part of the, the business that they're working on which, which is amazing and the, the last thing that was amazing uh, that carries on so I'm no longer at Tailwind Labs now but I got to keep like an incredible amount of gear that I acquired through making these videos I, I spent a lot of my own money as well to buy stuff that I felt improved my workflow like if you're a professional you want to invest in good tools but if anything just the m1 max maxed out m1 max just that machine is like significant price and the fact that adam never said hey can you send everything back and stuff was well, was pretty amazing
0: yeah for sure and i imagine this was like that time kind of overlaps with when covid was starting to become a thing and so um yeah it must have been uh, like i think at the time at least in my experience, a lot of that kind of dev rel position yep. um, was requiring people to travel around a lot, uh, which may not have been have been so possible. Um, and so, them specifically looking at like upgrading their um, like their YouTube content and doing all of this stuff that you could do uh, like remotely and and mostly asynchronously, maybe. Uh, I imagine would have been like the, the perfect timing for all of those things to have lined up. Um, but I'm sure it wasn't all smooth sailing and pros. What were some of the cons of of your experience?
1: Um, so what you, what you said is exactly right. It started, I joined in 2020 in July, which is like the peak of, at least in Australia, that was like, we were right in the first lockdown. And I think the whole world was in lockdown at this point. So it's a double-edged word because I, I lived in a small um apartment house slash that's called in Australia it's called a granny flat so it's someone's someone builds a smaller house in their backyard and then they rent it out or they they have the granny the grandma that lives in it's like for family visits or just have a rental income and we we literally moved in that place before before COVID was even a thing and we were like it's small uh, but we always outside we go camping we go we play sports we never at the house so who cares and I was I was working with Thinkmill back then and I was contracting for Atlassian so all I needed was a little laptop and I didn't do any video or anything. And then I started with Tailwind Labs and COVID hit and homeschooling with the kids in that small place. And when I started making videos, it became really challenging because I did not have an office. Like I was working in the living room, like at the dining table or whatever, which is when you have a laptop, it's fine. You just sit there, work there and then pack the laptop. And then when I started getting lights and a DSLR camera and all that stuff, I was like, there is no way with kids I'm going to leave this on tripods in the living room. Like it's it's not going to survive one night so I would pack up my uh, studio almost like a roadie that goes on the set to film se- uh, just one scene and just set all the tripods and stuff so work wise it was pretty hard and that's that's one thing that has not, it's not really related to Tailwind Labs the, the thing that's related is most of the team is in Canada or Europe and the job was initially designed uh, to be completely asynchronous like we would catch up with Adam once every month and then sometimes with Steve as well and the whole idea is like everyone knows what they're working on and it doesn't really Require a lot of like uh, pairing and like back and forth. Like, we we talk about what we would like to do for the next six weeks, and then Simon goes and does his thing, and the other people do their thing, and then we kind of own that part of the, the business. And that works really well. That works really well. But uh, at some point, I think as the team grew just a little bit more like because I was the second hire. So there was Steve Adam and there was another person called Brad working there already. And then I was the second employee hire. So we were just four and we literally everyone owned that little part. And the team grew while I was there from four to eight or seven, I think. And you might think it's like it's still doubling. And it means just a little bit more uh, things and decisions. And like there's that graph of the reports between people. If you have four, it's just like a cross and then you have five and it's like this big hexagon but with lines between each individuals and so the lines like uh, exponentially grow every time you add a person and uh, Tailwind as a company and it's not a dig at all they moved towards a let's work synchronously and the culture of working is to pair and then started to have, to have some friction in a way that I was asked to to try to use the time zone overlap which from Australia to <laughs> Europe or Canada is basically from 5 a.m. till 7 a.m. or from 10 p.m. to midnight like 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 it's all both and then you you take a break in between. But it shifted from... Simon does his thing by himself to we're a bit more sophisticated and we need uh, more like interaction like at the first if you look at the YouTube channel the first video I was doing the design and I was recording it and then showing to Adam and he was like yeah this is great maybe just change the way you say that sentence or use a button instead of a div or like some mistakes that I did but then it turned into go back to the YouTube channel and look at the very old one they're like one minute I don't have my face on the camera it's simple and it's very efficient and then it, it progressively moved into this like full blown production which I love because I, I, I upped my game so much. But what you mentioned before about the quality of the documentation and every every single thing Tailwind Labs does is like metic it's like absolute perfection. Like it's amazing. And in a way uh talking with Adam and Jonathan and other people, they were like, in a way Simon you are the face, the public uh, front window of Tailwind CSS. A lot of people discover Tailwind through you. And so everything you put out needs to reflect that level of attention to details and perfection even more than like if we have a typo in the documentation someone does a PR and fixes it if there's a typo in the video uh, it might be perceived as like uh, it, it damages that absolute perfection quality like someone might one day screenshot say uh, aha, oh, look there's a there's two N's instead of one M um, and so all this like you said it's a, it's a beautiful opportunity but it was also pretty stressful because there's that expectation of literally non-human quality and I think if I was in the same time zone and I could just constantly say, hey, I've, can, I'm a bit tired. Can you just review this before I export it? Uh, but I was literally working on my own in my own time zone and a couple of times something slipped through the crack because you work like eight hours straight on editing and you, you forget that you you... St- left a clip there that you're gonna go. So even the problem is some videos were like 15 or even 30 minutes long. So doing a review process, just watching the whole video for like the final review and pausing to check the, if there's a typo in the text or in the titles, it would take me sometimes half a day just to review. And so, it became like more and more production. And, and speaking from what, like, I just want to be clear with one thing. I, I didn't quit the job. I Tailwind Labs decided that to part ways, which is fine, I, I understand. But one of the discussions we had is it required too much input and time from the other people from the team to, to kind of help me bring the thing where I want it to be or where they want it to be. And I think uh, a lot of it could be fixed with the time zone. So
0: Yeah, it's hard with like it being, like that being the bottleneck, like you're saying that like you were the, the kind of most public thing that that represented the brand and that obviously creates like a big bottleneck where that needs to be um, you know like really meticulously uh, reviewed and yeah that wouldn't be a problem if you were like sitting next to someone or even just in in the same time zone and you're just like hey can we quickly jump on a call to talk about this thing but when you add those like additional turnarounds of like potentially another day um, because you're asleep at the time when, when someone sends a comment saying hey can you change this and then you wake up and then you change it and then you see send to the reviewed version and then again someone needs to review it when they're awake like it just yeah it really blows out those times and needing to have so much time pairing and and kind of uh like touching base with so many people in the company is is such a byproduct of that exact size of company like when it's smaller you're completely autonomous and you can do everything by yourself because there isn't there's not enough people to even review stuff it's just like you just got to keep running forward because it's just you know you're that size and once you get big enough you know you you have more of a management structure where like you maybe only need to catch up with your manager and you can work out a time that's convenient for that but when you're when you're in that like that sweet spot that that tailwind was at right when when you were there you have that kind of like that necessity to to catch up with everyone individually or to pair with different people in different time zones um yeah without you know being either side of that yeah it's challenging
1: now i just want to stress to make it really clear uh i understand the decision of course i wasn't i wasn't happy or excited and i kind of didn't see it completely coming but uh i'm still in good terms like i speak to adam every now and then and it's it's not one of these really nasty and and one thing that adam said uh when we had that discussion right after basically telling me that this is (laughs) the end of the road. He said, uh, I feel like you could find another position with your talent and skill where people can provide better support and and give you better working conditions. So there was like, I saw it as like, I'm not delivering the level of expectation, but there's there's also they as a team need to focus on so many other things. And maybe it would have been more productive if I had a whole DevRel team where I can like pair like just someone like you, John.
0: (laughs) And that's why we have the Navbar podcast now. You work <laughs> full time at the Navbar. At the Navbar, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just having
1: some some ideas to bounce off someone in my time zone, and just just uh, I didn't realize that the working conditions were really rough for me. Uh, and it's when I stopped, um, and I thought I'd just take a break to just reflect on what I want to do next and stuff. And it hit me like a brick. What first of all, I caught COVID the week after, which wasn't great, uh, and it stayed with me for a bit. But I I literally burnt out. Like taking a break is what allowed the the release of all the stress and like uh, working hours and intensity and uh, anxiety to live one time ty- like I would have dreams of like what if I leave a typo in this thing and I didn't see it and we've talked about the importance of not doing this and so when when it went away and I took a break uh, that's when I it hit me and I went into this like like nose diving of like exhaustion and not depression but like burnout and I hate tech and I want to I want to be a potato farmer and have corgis and move to a farm and all that stuff which half of these things I've done uh, but uh, I, I'm happy to say that I kind of came back the other side and spent time thinking about it and I, I realized Adam was right like it's uh, they from that specific time zone as much as I, um, I am a promoter of remote work and async work in that context with the expectations of quality and timelines and stuff it, it wasn't the best working conditions for me um, but I'm really grateful for the opportunity it's been a, a wild ride for sure but it's definitely helped me reach a new status uh, in the devrel world like I've, I feel like devrel is one of the hottest uh, position you can be in like in terms of in demand and upcoming and then the amount of time that I've seen discussions about like people say hey who are some good dev roles? or whatever and people refer to me and they're like he's the standard of like video production quality and I'm like it, it's wild like I'm this little guy from Switzerland who moved to Australia and now am considered like one of the really good people doing stuff even in the, uh, the United States state which is like a country with thousands of really, really good developers. So yeah, I'm really happy. Um and yeah, I'm always happy to answer questions. I, I I really enjoyed the whole process and I would absolutely do it again. Uh, and I think one thing that is a huge testament to Tailwind CSS is to be frank, I got fired from the team and I'm still here holding the Tailwind CSS flag and being like, guys, this is amazing. You should use it. And I'm still, I would never, if I have the choice myself, I would never pick anything else than Tailwind uh, to start a new project. Uh, and I'm betting on myself now trying to make my own content and course, and I picked Tailwind CSS because that's the thing I'm passionate about the most. So, if something, uh, if you thought I was paid by Tailwind Labs to say it's cool, uh, just know I'm not paid by Tailwind Labs, and I still say that it's cool. So that's that's a pretty good uh, testimonial uh, that it's genuine and authentic uh, recommendations, I guess.
0: They should put that on the website. They should have testimonials and just Simon's face. I got fired from Tailwind, but I still think it's cool. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, I've spoken a lot. Uh, If you have questions, uh, you being John or you being in the comments, I'm very happy to answer. Uh, Yeah, I feel like we've covered a lot of what uh, Tailwind is, what is my relationship with Tailwind. Do you have anything specific that you would like to know or that you've faced as a problem and maybe I can help you?
0: Well, not specifically a question, but I guess maybe just like quickly going through my experience with Tailwind from being on the other side of it, obviously having nothing to do with the core team and just being a consumer of Tailwind. Uh, I think I went through basically the exact process that you described there of like you know looking at it feeling like this isn't right um, kind of being a bit anti-tailwind and then giving it a try at some point and being like oh there's some good stuff and some bad stuff and then you know using it more and then being like oh this is this is awesome and it all clicks like I, I think I went through that that exact um, flow uh, like initially I didn't I didn't really understand like how it was different to inline styles and I had that that like um, that really kind of like bad taste in my mouth about using inline styles and all all of the problems that that happen there. Um, and so like it yeah, it just it I, I didn't understand how it was how it was any different because I didn't fully understand all of the reasons that all of the things have been done and um, you know how it actually worked behind the scenes. Um, and initially like. I think one of the big parts for me when I started using Tailwind was the the massive reset that happens um, where basically all of the styling either gets removed or a very basic styling um, gets. Uh, gets kind of normalized but uh, the majority of the styling like if you're rendering a div and then you change it to a button it's going to look exactly the same um, in the rendered page um, and so that was something that I thought initially like yeah that's it's just going to like it means that I have to go through and style everything like sure the default styles aren't always the gr- like you always want to unstyle a button or whatever but if I just want a, a title uh, like a H1 and then I want a paragraph under it I don't want to have to manually go through and style all all of that myself. Um, But then I realized that like most of the time that I spent developing the UI, I spent like resetting or undoing those stylings and not just not doing it properly at like a global level, but kind of resetting them in every single component. Like I would have a button, anytime I went to use a button, I would be like, all right, cool. I need to create a class for like an unstyled button. Um, And so I realized that rather than like initially my perception was that it would be, I would spend so much time having to style these elements. But really, it meant so much less time unstyling um, that it actually like evened right out to the point where I started using the reset just by itself. I still didn't really like Tailwind.
1: But you saw the value of like resetting everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so um, that is actually developed as a separate package that you can just pull in as as just a .css file. Um, and so I started doing that for a few projects and okay. resetting it like that and then still using style components. Um, that was sort of my my go-to choice was using react and style components together. Um, and so I used the reset just to get rid of everything and then use style components to like restyle everything um, to you know to what I wanted it to to look like. Um, but yeah o- over time as I as I started using tailwind more, um, I started just finding it like really pleasant authoring code. Like it felt like um, this really, like like you were talking about before, how you're not jumping into a different file to do CSS and then jumping back to the HTML and then jumping back to the CSS file and like moving around constantly. Um, it just kind of, it, it felt more natural to just like, I'm looking at the HTML, I'm looking at the structure. Like you don't have to keep referencing back to the HTML to see what the CSS class is called. Yeah. You can just be, you can look at your HTML and be like, okay, cool, I see the structure of, Of what I have there. Something that, um, that I think uh, like the, the comparison there was using something like style components. Um, I would still, I would declare the styles in that file. I'd have my style component, um, you know, above my react component. Um, and I would call it something like, uh, like, cause it's a, an actual component. So I would call it like header or something like that. But then when I created the header, um, style component, it would just be a div cause I wouldn't think about it when I was creating, um, like my style component, I just, you know, everything was a div. And so, um, when I started using um, tailwind I started thinking more about like what these components should actually be because it's right there in your face you're you're looking at the structure of your HTML and you're thinking like should this actually be another div or should it be a, a header or should it be a nav uh, well, <laughs> should it be the nav bar uh, should it be a nav element <laughs> or something like that like because you can see that structure alongside your classes um, I, I felt like I was thinking about it more um, and I think that reset really, helped me start writing more semantic HTML because I was like, well, it doesn't have to be a div because I just can't be bothered unstyling the button right now. If I know that it's a button, I'll just make it a button and it doesn't actually add any extra work for me. So I ended up writing much more semantic HTML, um, using, uh, using Tailwind. And so I was like, well, if it's, if, if I'm writing like naturally more accessible code and just better quality code for the browser to interpret, um. And it doesn't cost me anything. Then, then I want to uh, to keep using this uh, using Tailwind. Um, but I still had that that um, perception that I'm including this whole huge library um, without actually using any of it. Like I might only be using three rules, um, but I'm including this huge huge library to do that. Um, and so, didn't really like understand the idea of purging. And I think that was the point where, when I when I understood the purging side of things, that just was like the selling point for me where I was like, all right, Tailwind is awesome. I like Tailwind. It works so well for designing these components. Um, I think I went through a similar process to what everyone does where you think, um, oh, if I wanna add all of these styles, then I should probably create my own custom class so that I'm just including that one class because otherwise I have this list of classes in my React component and it looks ugly. Well, like what's the React way to solve that? You just make a component. Like rather than thinking I need to go and change the, the Tailwind config and create all of this custom stuff, you just go, well, this is just, you know, this is a a, a men- yeah a menu item that I use over and over again in my navbar. So then I will just create a menu item class and then it can be ugly once, but then it doesn't matter. Like you have a list of classes, but then you never think about it again. You just use your navbar component. <laughs> um, the other thing was like not clashing with like the, the scoping thing was a huge thing for me because that was why I was using styled components was because just I hated thinking about how, uh, whether my stuff was going to clash and whether I needed to think of some crazy name to to stop it from, from clashing. So the fact that it also gave me that um, and doing the auto prefixer side of things, which um, styled components also did. I think they were the main reasons I was using styled components were just, I wanted scoping and I wanted the auto prefixer stuff so I didn't have to think about browser specific stuff. Yeah. Um, so I got sold on Tailwind.
1: Nice. Uh, I like that. Your journey kind of reflects what we've been going through. There's the, the, the multiple steps and you you discovered the same kind of, not selling points, but benefits of using the approach. So it's, and it's something that's consistent. Like I've been talking to so many people going through the, the whole spectrum from hating it to loving it and being unsure in between. And even myself, I, I when I initially rebuilt a whole company site, corporate site in like 10 days with utility CSS, I was like, okay, I'm just going to use Tailwind. Wind for uh, the padding and margins because it's kind of it's a nice way to sprinkle consistent values but th- there's no way I can do everything with it and then I was like oh I, I just with flex uh, utilities I can kind of do that some layout and very like I, I had two weeks to rebuild the site and within three days I was like I, I see I can see that if I just remove all of the CSS and start from scratch uh, with utilities I will uh, I will be able to do it because it's so predictive and so easy to build something without thinking of anything else. Uh, And yeah, uh, I I had the same thing where I first initially thought I'm just going to use the reset and maybe just the padding spacing. And then the more you use it, the more you realize, wow, it it takes care of so many things that I thought would be a problem otherwise. Uh, So like you asked me about uh, the dark side of things, I want to ask you the same. I'm sure you didn't only have butterflies and happy uh, paths. So what was some of the frictions and cons that you had using Tailwind?
0: Yeah, good question. Uh, So I think with, uh, like I mentioned before, the authoring experience was really really nice like i felt like it was um it broke down that kind of creative barrier uh where i could just style my stuff as i was building the structure um and i didn't need to keep kind of switching context um but i found that when i revisited old code that i had written it was very it's quite hard to pass like it's not um yeah, it's just having a big, long list of things. You kind of have to think about every single property and kind of like mentally put it together. Um, like it takes a lot of a lot of brain power to think conceptually what that's doing and then what you need to change about it. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's just like my brain likes to pass those rules vertically rather than horizontally, like reading them in a big horizontal list.
1: Like like props in the components, yeah, React components. Yeah,
0: exactly. And Or, or just writing CSS rules themselves. Like
1: It's like key value pairs...
0: Yeah, that's right. And you can just like scan over them vertically instead of kind of scanning along horizontally. And I don't know, something about that when I'm revisiting old code that I've written or if I'm trying to track down a, a bug, like a, a UI bug, um, and trying to work out where that problem is, something about that process just doesn't, still doesn't, doesn't gel well with me. I really like the, um, yeah, revisiting CSS more than I like revisiting Tailwind styles to fix something. But then again, now that I'm a DevRel, I don't work on big, scary projects that have. Massive UI bugs. I get to just build small examples that just work. For, yeah, for a short amount of time, and then it's yeah. you know the life cycle's done. I have a
1: little note on that exact point. Uh, I totally get you, and even myself. Like sometimes when you want to quickly find something, you are like it. Definitely, I I don't agree with people say it adds garbage and clutter because it to me it's like information. It's really useful, but it does add some noise, and you have to figure out where the tag starts and finishes. Uh, fun fact: At some point, prettier uh, did a thing where it would group classes by like. If you if they were styling flex or grid or padding, they w- prettier would try to group them by line. And most most other CSS approaches, you have one, two, maybe three classes. But with Tailwind, it made this like if you had uh, let's go extreme and have like 60 <laughs> utility classes on one element, it would make like three vertical space worth of screen real estate for one component. And I somehow kind of liked it because it bring brought this vertical stuff and it grouped stuff by context. Uh, but people said, oh, we you, Tailwind is unusable and prettier. Kinda of didn't uh, add it as an option. It was like the new default. So there's a couple of versions of Prettier where if you had it, it would automatically format it like this. Uh, and I did a couple of videos in my YouTube channel journey where the styles are like this and everyone is like, what is this? Like, why is it every line? It's unusable. Please fix it. And uh, to the point where Prettier kind of rolled back the idea or like, I don't think you need any settings to not have that happen. Maybe it's an opt-in instead uh, because a lot of people say there's, there's frameworks that applies lots of classes and it doesn't really work well that way. Um, so that's one thing. And the other thing that helped me, uh, it was a tip from Adam. So Adam has so many visual tips for like perfection, like creating videos. And one of them was never scroll horizontally, right? Like you, if you have these classes and you, you say, oh, oh, let's scroll right to show the class I'm talking about. He said in uh, in VS Code, you can enable word uh, line wrap or word wrap. So it still respects the pre-formatting but in your browser, in your text editor, if it hits the end of the line, it's just going to go to the next line. So everything is visible. It doesn't change the actual formatting of the code but visually it wraps it and by doing that and having a fairly gnarly gnarly <laughs> a fairly narrow window uh, you you kind of claim back this like a vertical approach that you kind of like so maybe that's a tip you can try because I agree with you like s- scanning through horizontal stuff when you're used to the vertical browsing with your eyes it's a different uh, approach
0: yeah yeah that is a good yeah a very good tip I should I should try that one of the prettier ones frustrated the hell out of me when it was um I think it uh, it might actually be the the current D but it it like um, rearranges your uh, like your class names. I don't know if it's alphabetical or just some logical way. Whenever I'm like slightly tweaking like a, a padding value or something, like I'll, I'll be like let's try p p four, and then you save, and then it like jumps. And then you got to find it again to be able to go to try padding four or padding five or whatever. Anyway, very very small. Off topic. The other thing, like I think in line with that same thing is is yeah, just like having like my hover classes all grouped together in one separate thing. Like I found with SAS or styled components, um, you know, you can just say like colon hover and then you have all of your hover styles organized nicely there, again, vertically so that you can see all of them and scan over them. And you can can really easily see like, this is what it looks like when it's not hovered and this is what it looks like when it is. Um, When you're adding those like additional... uh like those additional states i feel like tailwind gets quite confusing like you have some states for um for like small screens and medium screens and then some states for hover and some states for for other stuff um yeah that all that all gets a bit confusing but other than that like yeah they're, they're the the only downsides that i think i have experienced so far so i am i'm am sold i love tailwind i think it's awesome um they have done an amazing job
1: these these sounds like surmountable uh, drawbacks and cons and I actually experienced both the same. Uh, when uh, especially when you teach a video, you're like a bit more focused on the delivery and the story. So I'd say, oh let's add some padding p four and save. And then well, sometimes I on purpose doing a video, do a padding too big to kind of show that's too big and then go smaller. So it kind of tells the story of like iterating in the browser. And so many times I would type P-4 and look at the screen and say, Okay, that's a bit too big, let's go p-2. So in my head, I type four, so I go delete two to s- replace the four by two, but the class jumped somewhere else. So I I delete the last character of like a flex direction or something completely different, and so that tripped me a lot. But in a in a funny way, the the same that's the prettier plugin that kind of orders the classes in an opinionated way. But on the flip side of what you just said, one of the things it's quite it quite created for is to group all the hover utilities in the same spot at the end. So it it puts all the default uh, baseline values first, and then hover or responsive. Uh, it groups the variants that modify only for specific uh, states at the end. So it can. Tries to do that, but the, the flip side is the authoring experience. Sometimes, when you just quickly, especially if you have format and save, which I have, and it sounds like you have too, uh, that kind of jumps, uh, which tries to help, but at the same time, it trips you up sometimes when you're not really thinking about it. So, I yeah, I agree with these two drawbacks, I, and I feel they're very, for me at least, worth the trade-offs for all the cons that you, all the pros that you get.
0: Well, that's the end of our main course of this episode. It has been super interesting learning all about Tailwind from the pro himself uh, and hearing all about your experience and and going through uh, working on the the core team and all of that that's been super interesting so I guess related to the topic of this episode what have you been working on recently Simon
1: I am working on a workshop on bootstrap <laughs> no I'm kidding I do <laughs> I do actually love bootstrap and I have incredible respect for the, the the folks that built it it's I've used bootstrap that's got me started in my career and that was that was a joke it's not taking as a dig like bootstrap is awesome but I'm working on a workshop on multiple workshops uh, on Tailwind CSS they're called Pro Tailwind and this is my own independent course where I team up with the badass courses team which is uh, the team behind egghead.io there's four workshops I've delivered one last time we spoke I think I mentioned that I successfully delivered it without dying and it was actually great and I have one lined up Uh, I don't know when you will hear this but uh, as I speak right now we opened the tickets register yesterday uh, and it will be held on the Thursday 8th of September at 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific time so I have to think hard because for me it's Friday 9th of September at 6 in the morning so every time I want to announce the date I think my date but I'm like no 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 (laughs) we live in the future over here so go back so this theming, this uh, uh, workshop I just revealed it is about theming multiple theme strategy in Tailwind CSS and we mentioned it I mentioned it during this uh, episode already we use the combination of superpowers of CSS variables and then the Tailwind plugin API. And combining these two, we can make this incredible uh, reusable and performant uh, way to support multiple themes. And again, it's a CSS-only solution, even if all of it is using JavaScript to, to build as a developer. The solution is entirely uh, CSS-based. So it, it, there's CSS variables that can change uh, at runtime in the browser. So there's no JavaScript involved, uh, just uh, the theme switcher. I guess I use React, but I've seen a cool example. I think again from Jen Simmons in her has uh, demos. One of them is a checkbox, uh, and it's used to toggle dark mode. Uh, to, it just checks has uh, has uh, checked is true, like the 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 attribute that says that a checkbox is checked. If it has that, it uh, changes the CSS uh, variable value, and then everything inherits the new values. So it's uh, like 100% CSS uh, and HTML only. Uh, theming strategy including the theme switcher which is pretty cool that's not what we're doing but yeah the the, the whole multi-theme Intel win which is quite hard to think about uh, it gives you a robust uh, approach you can use in multiple projects that's what I'm working on what are you working
0: on John? that all sounds amazing yeah I'm, I'm very excited for this to turn into a full purchasable uh, course that, that I can do because uh, yeah I can't I can't make those crazy time zones unfortunately um, but I have been working on uh, my new Egghead course which went out uh, I think two weeks ago now um, and this is Caching Superbase Data at the Edge Using Cloudflare Workers and KV Storage um, so this is yeah, just an, an awesome pattern that I have just been loving lately where it's it's like um, when you have an origin server that, that's one central location, um, how do you minimize the amount of trips that you need to make to that, to that server um, and so Superbase is exactly that, you have one origin database server living somewhere um, that you can choose but then if you have someone on the other side of the world that wants to get their data from there um, you don't want to make them wait around and so what's the what is a way that we can cache that data as close as possible to the users um, and the answer to that is the edge using Cloudflare workers and kv storage um, so i'm actually going to build our navbar website using Aha. this exact uh, well not this exact stack it's actually going to be slightly different um, and so with our with our navbar episodes we have have a notion, uh, a notion document where, or a notion database where we keep all of our kind of ideas for different shows that we could do, and we kind of use that as our um, like our tracking software, our planning software for, um, or project management software as to where each episode is up to, and which ones are ready to record, and which ones have been released. Um, and so I want to make a request to the notion API to get all of that data um, and display it on a page in a remix application. Um, but that ends up being pretty unperformant. <laughs> non-performant because uh, the notion api sometimes takes a little bit of time to respond um especially if you're if you have a huge amount of data that you're um that you're going and getting, and so uh, the best way to solve that is to put a caching layer in front of it. So if you if you only need to fetch that data once, and then that data is you know pretty pretty much going to stay fresh for a long time. Like we're not going to probably change episodes that have already been published. Um, that's a perfect use case for when you can have some very heavy caching um, that can remember that value and not need to keep hitting the Notion API. So um, by the time you hear this episode, this this information will be old, but today day I will be streaming um, actually building that website or over the next three days I'll be streaming building that. <laughs> and the crowd goes wild. Uh, <laughs> if you, yeah, if you want to actually, if you want to watch that, uh, then you will be able to go and check it out um, on my YouTube channel. So it'll be youtubecom slash c slash John Myers. Um, and you can go and watch me building out the um, the Navbar website using Remix, the Notion API, Cloudflare Workers, and KV storage.
1: Sweet. Uh, what I love about this is it's a legitimate real-world use case. Like we started this podcast, and we want to make a website and have our notes show up. And it's, uh, I didn't think of that until you mentioned it, but I've heard a few times that the way the Notion API works, it's super powerful, but it it fetches a lot of things and it can be a little bit slow. And this website would typically be mostly once uh, a show is out, it's not like a living document. We might add some links to the show notes or something, but it's, a lot of it is static. So having that layer that caches the the data and then serves it really fast is actually a super good use case. And it's not like you had to create a a fictive project to, to showcase the the tech it's like a real project and there's a real use case so I like that a lot
0: yeah that's the thing this pattern I just keep like seeing everywhere where I can apply it like my own personal uh blog I'm going to refactor a little bit to um to do exactly this and so yeah I just I just keep wanting to to rebuild things in this way because it's just super exciting how um how efficient it is for that kind of uh that kind of website it's awesome um so shall we move into the open bar do you have a sound effect for us simon (laughs)
1: Oh, we couldn't hear it. Basically, this... That sound was supposed to, but I can't control the different volume of different pads, so. Uh,
0: What have you been enjoying doing this week? What has been a It's not this week, but it's
1: something I wanted to talk about, and then it took a drastic turn where I didn't want to talk about it, and then I want to talk about it again. Uh, We had these little puppies. Uh, If you don't know by now, uh, you know. (laughs) But yeah, we had little puppies exactly three weeks ago. Every time we record a podcast, it's their week anniversary, and three weeks is kind of like the milestone where they can stop just deciding to die for no reasons. Like, puppies are very unpredictable the, the first few weeks. And a couple of weeks ago, I wanted to do the open bar discussion on something cool that I've done tech-wise with my son uh, around puppies. And then uh, one of these puppies, the day after we talked, uh, died. Uh, and I was like, I actually don't want to talk about this. But now I've processed it, and uh, I want to talk about it. So, um, taking care of puppies can be really, really hard work, especially if you have to do an intervention where you have to feed them yourself because the mom refuses to or they don't know how to s- find the, the little uh, source of milk and actually suck and swallow it and it's more more common than you think as I've discovered now like we had nine puppies uh, at birth one was born dead straight away uh, and I was like oh my god what happened and then we have only six left they're, they're really healthy but that, that's that that you can feel the trauma of like losing 30 percent of the nine puppies and the vet said to me the day I said there's nine she said. She knew nothing about uh, what was going to happen. She said, just let you know. and But I didn't really read it properly until it happened. She said there's about a 30% uh, loss in uh, liters, like for more than six puppies. Uh, but all this to say, I'm happy again now. I've processed all this. But what I had done with my son, because we had to figure out exactly how much milk uh, we should feed. Um, so there's, there's some guidelines uh, for the first week you need to feed if you have to feed it manually. It's every two hours and it's uh, a proportion of their body weights in milliliters of milk and so it, it happens to be seven mil, so seven milliliters if you can't think about it, it's about the size of your pinky like in a little like not even like it's, it's the size of your nail actually it's super super small and every two hours we had to feed this uh, seemingly meaningless amount but if you feed more the body can't process it and it kind of gets stuck and then they either vomit it or they it stays in and then they get bloated and they don't have room for the next like it's super tricky and so I was like with my son, uh, on paper, like we were weighing the I say my son, there was my wife and daughter as well, but then uh, we were weighting them and putting the numbers. And then I showed my son, hey, let's have an Excel sheet, like a Google spreadsheet. And we instead of putting these values on paper, we put it in the spreadsheet. And then we can use that value, and we can have a rule that says uh, here's the the ratio per weight, body weight, and then it's going to tell us, like, every two hours how much to feed them. Because it cha- every time you weigh them, they gain 10%, so you have to readjust. And as you can imagine, every two hours mean uh, in the middle of the night as well. So. Here Here's a challenge: wake up at three in the morning, completely uh, groggy because you've done a feed at one or at 11 p.m. because your partner did the other one, and then you have to do the mental math of how many milliliters of milk to feed at three in the morning in the dark. <laughs> so we did that Excel sheet, and uh, I had myself to do some research on on not on the formula to calculate how much milk, but the hard part was like how is it that every time we add a new value uh, each day of the weight, it picks that last value to to update the to update the formula. And I figured out like a, I forgot how it's called, a crazy function uh, that kind of looks at a list of cells and it takes the last non-empty cell. It has a, a very specific name in Excel jargon. Uh, and so this part, I couldn't teach my son because it's like very nerdy like VBA or I don't know how the, the Excel formulas language is. But um, everything else, I said, okay, we, we have the la- the value of the last cell. So if I add a new weight, it's going to pick that. And then I was I was like, we can divide because uh, the, the the VET gave us a rule. It's like uh, 60 milliliters per kilo or I forgot the, like there's, there's a formula. So I said we can divide his weight by the amount he needs daily and then every two hours, uh, there's 24 hours in a day, so we can divide it by 12. And I, we wrote this little form. He wrote the formula to the maths to kind of figure out that. And then he was like, oh, this is pretty cool. But what he didn't realize is every single day, you weigh the puppy, you put the new value, and then it tells you what's the next feed value is. And he was like, oh my God, this is so cool. And I I know like this was like a real use case like it was life saving for us to not have to think about it and I know I implanted in my son's brain like one day he's gonna just sp- start a new spreadsheet and do like basketball stats or like he's gonna shoot uh, 6 out of 17 in a game and he's gonna figure out how to calculate the percentage and I know I've planted this idea that you can, you can do so many things with a, a spreadsheet and uh, yeah that was a really great way to introduce that because he was keeping it on paper and we were doing this math with the calculator Later and I thought I'm a tech nerd. That's a, that's a legit way to improve the process. And then my wife can take her phone, and she has, we have this shared Google Drive, so she can see it as well. Uh, so all of us could at any time check the values. And my wife is at school. If she missed the weighing session in the morning, she can like she can look at the updated value. And yeah, that was like a great way to introduce the value of tech. Besides just building a website for the sake of learning uh, tech, like this was like a, a lesson of like this is super powerful. And then if you want, you can. Can do a UI that pulls this data like you're doing for um, with Remix instead of the Notion API, you can use the Google Sheets API, or I'm sure
0: there's a way to export as JSON or something.
1: And yeah, so that would be a, a perfect way to plant the seed of how tech can be used in cool ways.
0: Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah, I think Excel spreadsheets is the uh, the gateway drug to oh, yeah. a lifelong developer career. <laughs> (laughs) That's awesome. Um, Well, this episode has been going for quite a while. And so I'm just going to give a shout out to this lovely weather that's happening uh, here in Australia. We're finally starting to move away from those uh, drizzly, miserable winter days. And we're moving into spring and getting some beautiful sunshine. And uh, it's, yeah, it's making me feel very positive. Hence, if, if you're watching the video, you can see that Simon and I have all of our windows open and we're getting lots of fresh air. Yeah, sleeves are rolled up.
1: If you're not familiar with uh, Australia, getting towards spring means for the rest of the world is you shift from winter to summer straight away. Like you, like our spring, I don't know about Melbourne, but I think it's the spring is like automatically twenty in, hits the 20 plus range, like really nice warm shorts, t-shirts, barbecue outside lifestyle <laughs> for about nine months. And then winter is when it gets really nasty. I think Melbourne is a bit more four season-y, but at least in Sydney, the, we have winter that's terribly cold. And then it's like hot slash terribly hot <laughs> for the rest of the year.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it gets pretty miserable, especially up in like I'm up in the kind of rainforesty area, which is really lovely. But it during winter it gets very kind of yeah gets gets a bit miserable. Um, but yes, I am very much looking forward to these lovely sunny days. And I sure I, I saw earlier that you're rocking the exact same outfit of me with a hoodie and then shorts. So that's that's the perfect transitional outfit from winter. <laughs> (laughs) into spring we know that the uh, the weather is getting nicer so uh, yeah thank you so much for tuning in once again my name is John Myers you can find me at John Myers underscore IO on Twitter and I'm Simon Drashliotis I am Simon Swiss
1: on all things but mostly Twitter is the place I check uh, way too many times a day Uh, hit me up there if you want to chat thank you so much for listening I promise I will get better I speak less and less going forward thanks for listening bye bye bye